Paul says in verse 17, but as God is distributed to each one, as the Lord is called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. And Father, we humbly ask as we continue now to worship in this time that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, prepare each and every one of us accordingly to hear what you were trying to say to us through this inspired part of your word that you gave to us originally and that you still, Lord, personally speak in a very present way through it every time we open it because it's a living and an active and powerful book, the word of God. So please, Lord, by your spirit, teach us, speak to us. Give us an ear to hear what you want to say this day. And we thank you for these things expectantly together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I know we've all heard this statement before. There's a great amount of truth to it. It's these four words, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. The idea is become fruitful right there in the garden that you currently find yourself now in. The idea is a person should humbly accept in a spiritual sense. The idea would be that we would humbly accept where God has already situated us. And just take full advantage of the opportunities right where we are for God's best and for God's glory. Rather than always thinking, listen, that a change in status or some change in my circumstances or my situation is necessary for happiness. That's the American dream. Or that some change in status or situation is necessary for progress or even just for being fulfilled and content and satisfied. Instead, embracing where God has you at the current time, trusting God's in control of your life, and trusting that God's working even where he has you right now, and just doing your best under the current circumstances to serve the Lord where he has you, unless it's the Lord who truly transplants you. And sometimes God does do that. I'm not saying God does not from time to time transplant us, but we want to make sure God's transplanting us and we're not uprooting ourselves and trying to replant ourselves in another location, searching for something that maybe isn't necessary. But being able instead to remain where you are, even put roots down for the season in order to make the most of the opportunity right where God has you and to flourish there spiritually, to bear fruit in that status, because that is a valuable way to redeem time. And it is a very valuable and effective way as well to flourish spiritually because if you never put roots down, you really can never bear fruit. And if you're continuously uprooting and uprooting and uprooting and uprooting and changing and shifting, it's hard to really get, in a sense, a pattern of fruitfulness developed in your life because you're continuously uprooting and transitioning in many ways. And again, that's what our current text this morning we're going to see 
is addressing. And it's very fitting as well, because keep in mind, when a person encounters Jesus and surrenders their life to the Lord, to follow him, which the church at Corinth had experienced, many of them had gotten saved. Sometimes after that happens, of course, there's powerful life change, right? So when you become a Christian, now you got a whole new value system. I know that happened to me. All of a sudden I had different ideas about everything now that I was a Christian. I had different perspectives on things. I, you know, I, I, certain things mattered that didn't matter before and didn't matter that once mattered to me. And sometimes in zeal, when a person becomes a Christian and they really want to genuinely in zeal please the Lord, they start to almost kind of think sometimes that they have to wonder if maybe I need to change like literally everything in my life. And it's almost as if in order to really serve the Lord or to be more spiritual, I need to alter everything about my life because I have this brand new spiritual life now. And we kind of think that we therefore need to go through and alter everything. And some Christians, even in Corinth, it seems from what Paul's been saying, we're dealing with some of that in their lives, even to the degree in this chapter, which has been a great deal about marriage and singleness and so forth. There were some, no doubt, who were in unpleasant marriage relationships. And because they were in unpleasant marriage relationships, they were thinking, if I could just get rid of this spouse, then I could really serve the Lord and they wouldn't be weighing me down like a boat anchor. There were others who remember who perhaps they were both non-Christians when they got married and then one had gotten saved. And Paul said last time, well, what do I do? Now I feel this tension. I'm trying to serve the Lord. They're not really interested yet in serving the Lord. And they were no doubt thinking, man, I feel unequally yoked. And so I guess this is just going to kind of hold me back because boy, if we were both Christians, I could really, I mean, I could really do some great things for Jesus if we were just both Christians. And so there was kind of this struggle that people were wrestling with, whether it was that kind of situation there or the singles wishing that they were married or the marrieds wishing they were single. And it's kind of that whole chronic thing of thinking, oh, if I could just change this or my status were different. And Paul says, look, don't buy into that grass is greener on the other side of the fence mentality and let it distract you. He says, instead, in essence, water your own lawn. No matter how brown it is, you would be much better to just water your own brown lawn that God's already given to you than to think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence and always be peeking over there and distracted and not paying attention to your own situation and ultimately being tempted to go over to the neighbor's yard and get involved in something you were never supposed to get involved in when really you should just focus right where God has you in your current situation. Again, being content to serve the Lord whatever the situation. Now, he takes this general principle and he kind of expands it now to encourage, look, this is wisdom on a wider scale that each believer should be foremost concerned to just focus wherever their current status is in life to actively serve the Lord. And don't be distracted wishing that you were somewhere else or you had a different situation in your life. Look what Paul says with me in verse 17. He says, but as God has distributed, again, how did you get that lot in life? God has distributed to each one as the Lord has then called each one to become a follower in that lot in life. So let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. So Paul identifies a general rule or guideline here. It seems that he taught in all the different churches where he planted and he pastored. He said, this is the, the rule or the, or the guideline that I give in all churches and the idea is embracing what God had allowed to unfold in their life, trusting that God was in control in the big picture over their life. He says there in verse 17, God has distributed to each one of us 
our own unique lot in life that God has distributed that to us. That is the idea. Just let's think of this, just where we live, right? We were born here. We could have been born in Ethiopia. We could have been born in Russia. Again, Acts 17 says God determines the very boundaries even of where we live on the globe and our nationality and the families we were born into. God controlled all that. He allowed us to be born in the family we were born in and the location on the earth that we're born in. These are all things that God, in a sense, allots to us, our general life status. Those things that are kind of just things that unfolded outside of our control. The people that we find ourselves connected to, our basic life situation that we find ourselves kind of journeying through. God has allotted that path for us that we're now journeying on circumstantially. Yet while we're on that unique pathway on this earthly life journeying, For those of us who've now become Christians, he says in verse 17 as well, the Lord has called us in the midst of those things. So God gives me this lot in life. I'm journeying my pathway. You're journeying your pathway. And then somewhere in the midst of that, the Lord Jesus calls each one of us right in the midst of that situation. In that current pathway, in those circumstances allowed by God, the Lord calls us to now become his follower spiritually. So now in that pathway, now I have a spiritual calling. Still on the same pathway, still live on the place, same place on this ball of dirt. I'm still connected to all the same people. But now I'm following Jesus in the midst of that. I now have a spiritual calling to navigate on this current pathway. And he says within that situation that you now find yourself as a Christian, he simply says God's wisdom is so let the believer walk in that situation. In other words, now just walk forward in faith serving the Lord. Don't think, in other words, don't think when the Lord called you to follow him that you were on the path that God the Father had set you on and there's a contradiction there. In other words, when God the Father and Jesus, God the Son, determined the plan for you to be saved, it wasn't as if they accidentally didn't compare notes. As if the Father put you on this trajectory and he let you be in this situation and circumstance and here and connect with these people, And then Jesus had a plan to call you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And somehow they didn't compare notes. That's not the case. They were fully aware in the sovereignty of God exactly what your situation was. And when they called you to be saved in that life circumstance or situation, they knew all those things. And so the idea of Paul saying is just embrace that as recognizing, okay, God's plan is is with this lot in life, I am also now called to be a follower of his son, Jesus Christ, and to continue on and remain serving Jesus now in my current status. One translation renders this, each person should live as a believer, listen, in whatever status the Lord has assigned to him. Another translation says, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. I mean, the best way you could think of this from an application standpoint is when the Lord saved you, like he saved me, he knew what he was getting with my life. He knew my background. He knew my current circumstances. He knew all my failures prior to that time and the circumstances that created as a result of that. He knew everything about my history, my situation, my background. He knew if I was single. He knew if I was married. He knew if I was divorced. He knew exactly what he was getting when he saved me. He was fully aware of that, which is in some ways a great encouragement because that means he's more than able to work with those raw materials in your life. He is more than able with the raw materials of whatever your life has been 
to now use you as his follower to work in your life right in that situation and not to have to try and change things thinking, oh, well, now I'm a Christian. I, I mean, I got, this is not going to work. Being a Christian with this situation isn't going to work. Look, it's not like God, well, then why did God save you? He knew you were in that situation. He saved you in that situation. So from God's perspective, God's saying, I can work. I knew what I was getting when I saved you. And I can work in that situation. I have a unique plan and purpose to begin to, to you know, kind of navigate you now as a Christian. I guess one of the ways you can keep in mind with this is think of this, folks. People follow Jesus all over this globe, right? There are people who pray to Jesus, not just in English. We do remember that, right? People are following Jesus all over the planet. People are following Jesus all over the globe in countries that aren't as nice to live in as this. Take a little trip if you need to enlighten yourself a little bit. There are people in abject poverty who love Jesus just as much as you do. And they don't question that Jesus loves them because they don't have the newest iPhone or something. They have, they're wondering where their next meal's coming from. And they love Jesus and they believe Jesus loves them. People serve Jesus in different circumstances all over this globe. Hardships, persecuted places where Christians lose their lives for following Jesus. Again, it does not matter the situation. We don't want to believe the lie that our circumstances can hold us back from a fruitful Christian experience because that's not true. Any person in any situation with a yielded heart to Christ can be a fruitful follower of Jesus. And we want to remember that. Look, my situation doesn't prohibit me from being a faithful, committed follower of Jesus a lot of times, maybe it's my attitude that may just prohibit me or my wrong perspective about a current situation. First Corinthians, Paul's going to say in chapter 10, whatever you do, just do it all to the glory of God. He even says whether it's what you're eating, drinking, or just whatever you do, just do it to the glory of God, trusting him in that. Paul says, verse 18, was anyone, I notice he's going to kind of use an illustration, was anyone called while circumcised? The idea is a part of the Jewish tradition. Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. So he offers here kind of an illustration for those who are thinking that change in status is necessary. And he kind of tries to picture this now for the Christ follower. Now, let me just say, obviously, Paul is not talking here about the issue of physical circumcision or uncircumcision. Because again, if someone has already undergone the right of physical circumcision, you can't medically reverse that. And Paul says there, you know, were you called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Were you called while uncircumcised? Let him not become, he said, circumcised. Again, he's talking about reversing one way or the other. Well, if it's happened, you can't reverse it. Well, Paul's using as a cultural idea which the people in it they fully understood of circumcised and uncircumcised of those who were jews or who'd embraced jewish culture or those who were non-jewish or gentile the jews in the scriptures were often once they were you know followers of, of, of judaism or had even become converted as proselytes they referred to them as the circumcised or the circumcision and we see that in the bible that was a procedure that the jewish males did to identify themselves as Jews, they underwent the rite of circumcision. Now, in the same way, Gentiles, anyone non-Jewish in nationality, were often referred to in the Bible as the uncircumcision or the uncircumcised. You can see that in places like Romans chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 2. So Paul says here, 
Was anyone called to Jesus to become a follower of Christ? He says, verse 18, was anyone called while living in the culture and the ways of Judaism in their identity? And he says, if that was the case, that's fine. You don't have to forsake, he says, all that has to do with of your Jewish culture and nationality in order to be a follower of Christ now. He says, you don't have to abandon all of your past relationships and disconnect from your national identity. You can still be who you are in your cultural diversity and serve the Lord in that status, he says. He says on the other side of that, was anyone called to follow Jesus while uncircumcised as a Gentile, that is living a pagan, where you had no religious interactions at all and you were totally living a pagan life. Well, he says, look, now if that's the case and you're a follower of Christ, don't feel like that just because you're a follower of Jesus that now you got to go through the rite of circumcision or for that matter, any religious ritual to kind of really be spiritual. In other words, like, man, in order to be spiritual, kind of, you know, I need some form of religion. And so there were those, remember, who were pressuring those in the early church. Well, look, you got to also get circumcised. You got to come through Judaism first because that's a formal religion to then become a follower of Jesus. And Paul's saying, look, that's not the case. You don't need a religious ritual to follow the Lord. You just follow the Lord now, irregardless whether your background was religious or irreligious. He goes on, verse 19, to say, look, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, both the same. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. So what status you were in prior to serving Jesus, he says, really matters for nothing in the sight of God as it pertains to our salvation. Why? Because how are we saved? By grace, right? You're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So the most religiously moral person in any system, Judaism or anyone else that thinks, my system and all my works are good enough, God says, that's nothing. It is not good enough. You need grace, free gift, and faith to get into heaven. The person who lived like a wild person, he says, look, oh, yeah, I know you live like a wild person, but you're saved by grace anyway. Don't matter, you live like a wild person. You don't have to try and get all religious now. You just follow Jesus as a brand new excited believer and forget about what your past has been. Again, the natural things to a degree, God is saying, they don't really make a difference as it pertains to walking with the Lord. What matters is that now we faithfully serve him. So again, were you circumcised, uncircumcised, Jewish, Gentile? He says, your culture, your ethnicity, if it's this or that, he says, fine. That's what your culture is. That's what your ethnicity is. That's what your nationality is. He says, that's fine. Keep your nationality, keep your ethnicity, and just serve Jesus in that nationality and that ethnicity. He says, if your background was a religious upbringing and you never knew Jesus, but you were very religious, then he says, look, be grateful that now you finally know Jesus and you're not just religious and serve Jesus. If your background was that you had no religious connection at all, you were bare bones, a wild sinner, he says, fine, don't worry about it. You just serve Jesus now and live for Jesus and don't go back and get all legalistic just because you're a Christian now, you just love and follow Jesus the way that you should. He says, are you married? Fine. Serve Jesus as a married person now. Are you single? Don't think, oh, I can't really serve the Lord until I get a Christian spouse. No, serve the Lord as your single person, Paul's going to say. Are you in this career? Oh, I, I have this career. Now I'm a Christian. What am I going to do? I can't do this. I got to go become a missionary. He says, no, you are a missionary right at your job site. Just serve Jesus right where you're at. 
The idea is not getting caught up into this, our present status or earthly affairs are so important. Really, he's saying they're somewhat irrelevant. He says circumcision or uncircumcision, he says, is really nothing. And why? Because our primary status to God is what? You're a Christian. That's your primary status that God cares about. Paul says, writing to the Colossians in chapter three, who are believers, he says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, a slave or free. He says, Christ is all that matters. In other words, walking with Jesus and serving the Lord where you are in those circumstances, that's what really matters most to God's heart. These other things really are nothing of concern, but what is God's concern? Look what he says at the end of verse 19. This is what matters, but keeping the commandments of God is what really matters. So your condition that you find yourself serving the Lord in isn't so much what matters. What makes the difference is how you now live in that condition as a Christ follower. It's not changing your condition. It's recognizing, okay, in this condition, I am now a Christ follower. I'm now someone who honors the Lord and therefore how I live in that condition, that's what matters to God. And how is that reflected? He says it's reflected by whether or not we're obeying the word of God in that situation, in those current circumstances. That's what matters for most. Keeping the commandments of God is what really counts. So what's relevant is not, do I work at this job? Or am I married or aren't I married? Do I have a good marriage or not a good marriage? You know, uh, you know, do I live here or there? Am I rich or am I poor? Am I this nationality or that nationality? He's look, that's not the, the issue. It's not the circumstances. What matters is, do you obey God's word in your circumstances? Do you follow God's word in a way where you let that be the authority over your life? That should be what matters most to us, why? Because he says, verse 19, that's what matters most to God. What God's concerned about is, are you obeying my word? And you know, good thing to ask ourselves, how are you therefore doing in that area? In your little circumstances, in your situation, in the sphere of life God has you in, how are you doing in regards to that? Let's not be distracted by excuses of why we can't serve the Lord because of you fill in the blank. Um, I, I just I can't serve the Lord right now because of this or because I'm connected to him or because I'm connected to her or because I've been impacted by that. God says, look, don't get tied up in that. Whatever your situation is, you just serve me by obeying my word in that situation, doing what's right biblically in your attitude and your decisions and our actions. And Jesus often tied these two things together continuously. He said, John 14 if you love me, keep my commandments. John 15, he said, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you. Again, in Luke chapter eight, they came to Jesus and they said, your family's outside. They want to see you. And Jesus said, my family are those who hear the word of God and then do it. Not those who just listen to the sermons and say, that was a good sermon. Or boy, Jesus is a great teacher. Or I really like reading the Torah. Jesus said, no, my true spiritual family members are those who hear the truth of God's word and then they heed it. They put it into practice. They submit to its authority by actually living it out as an act of love towards the Lord. So again, it's not so much the situation we feel stuck in. 
That's not the issue. It's about our willingness to serve the Lord in that situation, learning to function in those circumstances without running off and obeying God's word in that situation that we find ourselves currently in. That's what's really mattering to God and what pleases the Lord. He says, verse 20, let each one remain, there it is again, in the same calling in which he was called. In other words, prone to think I got to escape. I got to get out of this situation. I need to find a way to change my situation for God's purposes to unfold. And he says, that's not often true. But that is a thing that we can tend to kind of have a struggle with from time to time where we start to think, you know, if I just wasn't connected to this or if I just wasn't connected to them or, you know, if, if, if I could just get to how about that? If I could just get to this status in life, I mean, it's hard now, but if I could just get a spouse, then I'd be good, man. I mean, I wouldn't be struggling with this and that. Hmm. May not struggle with that, but I'll tell you, you struggle with a few other things. I've been married almost 26 years. Or, if, I mean, if I just wasn't married to this person, you know, if just sooner rather than later, I just, I could, somehow I could get rid of the, no, that, that's, that's not the case. And yet so often we kind of tend to, you know, we're always looking ahead that if only this and if only that, and if this were different, or if we could just change this or escape this and get to this set of circumstances in life, then somehow we could do better. And he says, no, look, you just, just remain in the status where you're at and you serve the Lord right there. Now, now, let me just say, as he says there in verse 20, and it's an emphasis in the passage, let each one remain in the calling in which he was called by Christ. Let me just clarify, it's one thing to depart from living in a sinful lifestyle. God would never tell somebody who's already living in a sinful lifestyle, okay, you're a Christian now, but uh, you, know, you, you can uh, keep working as a drug dealer. Okay, let's not be ridiculous. Well, it says remain in the calling I'm in, and I'll tie on all my proceeds now. I make good money as a drug dealer. No, no, no. <laughs> That's not what God's saying. God's word is very clear. If it's a sinful lifestyle, we depart from the lifestyle. That's something we don't remain in. We depart from that. However, beyond sinful situations, we should repent and depart from. Whenever we're simply just talking about life situations, that's what God's addressing here. Are you married, single, slave, free? Were you a Jew, a Gentile? Just general life circumstances. Changing our status is not always the answer. And we need to know that as the Lord's people. Because a lot of times, from what I found in my life and others, it's not necessarily a change of status or situation. A lot of times it's a heart change in that status that we really need for most. To be able to see it from a proper perspective and remain content and focus on serving the Lord right where he's planted us. And look, you know, this morning, that may be a word from the Lord to encourage some of you. That rather than keep stumbling over the same thing again and again, thinking the grass is greener or if not this and wish that, and it becomes this almost perpetual excuse for spiritual stagnation in our lives or this perpetual excuse for thinking that we can never get ahead spiritually, the Lord says, no, 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 that, that's not true. Maybe it's just a change of heart in that situation is what you really need. And then you can just bloom right where God has you planted. Notice he uses another example going on in verse 21 that was very prevalent. He says, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. Now in Paul's day, understand when he's writing, up to two thirds of the population of the Roman empire were slaves. That's huge if you think about it. That means there were more people walking around the Roman empire that were slaves that were actually free. In that day, slavery typically came about in two ways. 
Most of those who were slaves were people who had been captured when the Roman Empire was continually conquering territory after territory, and people would then come back and end up being slaves in the Roman Empire as territories were conquered as a result of war. Others became slaves in that day when they fell into indebtedness. In other words, they had a financial problem or a crisis, and so they would enter into selling themselves off as a slave to work for a period of time for a master to pay off their debt. But in that day, irregardless, slaves basically had no rights but to serve their master, and their primary responsibility was to do whatever their master wished. So someone, to a degree, was in control to a great degree of their life. They didn't really have rights. And though masters owned their slaves really like a piece of property, many masters typically treated their slaves with a great deal of dignity and respect, even allowed them to marry. And many slaves in the Roman Empire, if you do a little bit of research, many of the slaves in the Roman Empire were actually given good educations. Many of them were trained with skills to work in different occupations. Many of them served as teachers and accountants uh, and business operators on estates for their masters and tradesmen. And a slave over time could, if they accumulated resources and finances, ultimately purchase their freedom. Paul's going to talk about that in a minute. Or if they served an extended period of time, sometimes usually a matter of years, sometimes seven years, they could then, after they served their time, be freed up from their indebtedness, and they could obtain their freedom. But until that time, they were legally owned by their masters. And so they basically did not have right or control to a degree of their life. So it's interesting that Paul now would say here, understanding that reality, verse 21, were you called to become a Christian while in the status of being a slave? That applied to many people. They were a slave, but now they were a born-again Christian. He says, look, don't, don't let that concern you. Don't be concerned about it. Because think about how that would go through someone's mind. They would begin to think, man, I have a new master. It's Jesus now. But how am I going to follow my new master? Because I'm a slave. This guy's my master. And I really can't even do what I want. So what if Jesus calls me to go do this? I can't do it because I'm stuck as a slave. I guess I'm not going to be able to follow Jesus until someday I'm not a slave any longer. You see how that would begin to happen? Because they would begin to wrestle with their circumstance and their status and feel like, well, I guess I got to wait so I'm really free to live for God. Paul says, if you find yourself stuck in the circumstance of being a slave, don't let it distract you. He says, don't let it concern you. You just now be the best Christian slave that you could ever be. You just serve Jesus and seek to please the Lord in that status and glorify him in your situation by how you live. Paul in Ephesians writes this in Ephesians 6, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ now doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. In other words, the Holy Spirit directs those who are in that status of slavery, which was extremely common in the Roman Empire, and basically says, look, in that status now, you keep doing everything you're doing, but now, though you may serve a human master, realize you ultimately are serving someone else beyond your human master. And so when you work, don't just work for eye service for them. Instead, say, no, 
My master's eye may not be on me 24-7, but my master's eye is on me 24-7, even when the boss ain't around. And I work for him now. And so I'm going to be the best employee, the best slave, or, you know, and, and, and I'm going to live out my life in a way where I seek to please Jesus in my status and be the best slave or the you know, best guy on the whole estate or the best slave in the whole household where my master goes, wow, I mean, you, you're, you're fantastic. Why you don't work like all the rest of the slaves? Why are you like that? And the recognition is because that person loves and serves the Lord. And it becomes a powerful testimony and you seek to please the Lord because you realize I'm not trying to please a person anyway. I do what I do to please the Lord and to honor him. So he says, look, though you don't have to be distracted, don't let it concern you being stuck as a slave. However, look what he says in the second half of verse 21. He says, however, but if you can be made free, then rather use it. In other words, if the opportunity arises to be liberated as a slave, what does Paul say? Take advantage of it. Go for it. If you have the opportunity to get out of that situation and to a better situation to get freed up, he says, that's fine. Take advantage of the occasion and utilize it for your benefit. In other words, there's nothing wrong from God's perspective. Listen, to try and do better for yourself, to get ahead in life. He's saying if you can get ahead and be freed up in some way, if that gives you a better life, it gives you a healthier situation, a better experience, and it frees you up even to serve the Lord more, then take advantage of that. God would want you to be liberated if you can have a better opportunity circumstantially. So again, though your circumstances don't need to hinder your spiritual life, that's what we, it doesn't have to hinder your spiritual life. He's saying, if however an occasion arises for some change that would put you in a better situation, there's nothing wrong with taking advantage of that. There's nothing wrong with capitalizing on that opportunity to advance yourself in some way. If you can now be made free, he says, take advantage of that opportunity. He's saying, just don't get paralyzed thinking until I can get free. Ah, my spiritual life's just a waste. Or until I can get free, I'll never be able to be happier. I'll never be able to be fulfilled unless change happens. I'm just handicapped circumstantially. And he's saying, no, that's not the case. You just faithfully serve Jesus in that situation. And if a door opens to make a change or a transition, to get the better job, to get married, to, you know, to, to have a new opportunity, and if it's there and God gives you the opportunity, nothing wrong with it. Take advantage of it. But he's saying don't let it be the thing that makes you think that until it happens, you're kind of prohibited from a fruitful spiritual life. And, and again, I think this is really great counsel for all of us, even it was for the slave wanting to get free, because sometimes... What do we feel like? Oh, I'm enslaved to this job. I mean, I, I am stuck in this situation. And we feel stuck in a situation or enslaved to some, you know, particular circumstance. And look, God's just saying, don't let that concern you. Don't let it distract you. You just put your hand to the plow and bloom right where you're planted. And you just serve the Lord the best you can in that situation. And if in God's good time, a transition opportunity comes, take advantage of it. If the better job comes, the opportunity to make a situation better for yourself, then he says, go for it. God would want to see you go for it if he's the one that's opening that door. Well, next, he then also gives God's perspective, showing that our spiritual condition is way more important than our physical condition circumstances see what he says in verse 22 he says 
For he who is called, he uses the same picture now, he was called in the Lord while a slave is actually, says, the Lord's freedman. That's God's spiritual perspective. Likewise, he was called while free. Circumstantially, you're free from being a slave. But he says, spiritually now, you're Christ's slave. Now, I think this is a very interesting analogy. He's saying if you're called to follow the Lord and, and you get saved by him when you were a slave, though you may be a slave circumstantially still, and that may be your physical circumstances, he says, here's the good thing. You've been liberated internally. You've been set free on the inside. You're the Lord's freedman. You've been redeemed from spiritual slavery, and Christ has set you free. What did Jesus say in John chapter 8? If the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And he's saying, yes, you may not be totally free circumstantially. And sometimes we wish we were, but we're still stuck in a circumstance. He's saying you may not be totally free circumstantially, but what's more important is you've been liberated in your soul. Your soul has been set free. Boy, think how precious and true that is to people maybe who are incarcerated in prison and they're not getting out. Just because they become a Christian doesn't mean they open the doors and let them out of prison. But they could say, yes, I'm still stuck in a prison cell. I'm still enslaved to this circumstance, maybe for the next 10, 20 years of the rest of my life. But now I'm free internally because I'm the Lord's freedman. And how wonderful it is, though you may be stuck in a circumstance, to be set free from the struggles of the unsaved life, dealing with things that we're ruled by, like bad habits and, and just attitudes and mindsets that keep people in bondage and you know, set free from guilt, set free from fears and anxieties and depression set free from things that cause people to live in bitterness and anger and discontentment. And man, you can still be stuck in a circumstance, but Jesus can liberate your soul and you can be free inwardly. Now he says on the other side of that, verse 22, likewise, he who is called while free, that is you have freedom in your circumstances, is actually Christ's slave. So he just turns it around. He says on the other side of that, when Jesus calls someone who's free circumstantially, they have to give up all the rights of their life anyway to serve a master who they now become enslaved to as a servant of Christ, because that really is the proper perspective for a Christian. We were purchased with a redemption price. It's the blood of Christ. And really, when you and I choose to become a follower of Jesus, we choose to say, I have a new master now. It's not me anymore. I'm not the master of my life anymore. Jesus is now my master. So I give up all the rights to my life, and I say, I will now live indebted like a servant, a slave unto Jesus because my life is now his. And so whatever he wants for my life is what I'm going to do. So he's saying in a spiritual sense, that really becomes true as well. My life has now lived to fulfill the purposes of the Lord who's my master. He says, verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Now, verse 23, short verse, but let me just say a great, truth and principle to remember and to always live by. This has been very, very helpful. I know personally for me throughout my Christian walk and even from a ministry perspective, you were bought at a price. In other words, you belong to Jesus. He's your master, your ruler, your controller. Therefore, do not become slaves of men. The idea here spiritually, as he's building off of verse 22, is saying, look, are we called as Christians to be servants of people? Yes. Are we called to be sacrificial in our servanthood to people? Yes. 
but we should never become enslaved to someone else controlling our life. That's not God's will. That someone would rule us and control us, that the Lord himself would have total control and be fully in charge of my life, that we're to be ruled by him. Not living our life in a way, mentally, emotionally, or whatever it may be, where we start, listen, to let another person begin to control who we are as an individual. To begin to control and consume all of our attention. To control all of our time, because we're becoming enslaved to them. To begin to control everything about our energy and our efforts. He's saying, look, don't become, in other words, don't allow yourself. Don't allow yourself, he's saying, Christian, to become a slave of a person on earth. Now, to me, that is important because we have to stay on guard because here's what happens. And you know this as well as I do. Sometimes in life, even with good intention, you know, we're trying to be helpful, servant-hearted. Sometimes in life, situations arise. Sometimes relationship dynamics unfold where all of a sudden we find ourselves becoming enslaved to somebody. You know what I mean by that? Hopefully somebody does. You start to find it's like, I feel like I'm becoming enslaved to this person. Like literally it is just monopolizing and controlling all of my time, all of my energy, all of my efforts. And they literally start to take over control of your life. And God's saying, that's not healthy. That's not healthy. Because what begins to happen is it can actually become a deterrent to your own spiritual fruitfulness. And the Lord is saying, look, I don't want someone else controlling your life. I'm your Lord and your master. I want to be in control of your time, Tony. Not that person. You're letting them control all of your time. I'm in control of your time. And so here he gives us just a great reminder to to keep in balance. Servanthood, sacrifice, yes. But he says, don't ever forget you were bought at a price. Don't let yourself become enslaved to a person because that can become a deterrent to your service to Jesus as your true master. He concludes verse 24, restating the same thing once again for emphasis. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Notice this time with the word remain, uh, uh, there he, he adds there, remain, look what he says, with God, he says this time. Remain with God in the state or situation that you are in. The idea is remain with God who's allowed you to be in that situation and who is with you in that current situation. That God wants us to know that he is together with us in that situation during the season and is able to work in you and through you just as much as if you moved on to some other situation in your life. And what does he want us to remember? Because this is where right now in this season, God's planted you as a Christian. And God says, I'm with you right where I planted you. Remain there with me, God says. God's kind of reminding us in some ways to remain with him, to stay on track with what he's doing in our life, to embrace his plan for our life. Don't divert or abandon ship. Stay on board with God's path and the journey. Stay together with what he's doing in your life right where you are. Because we can have that tendency to feel like I'm in this situation and God's not with me. And it's almost as if at the end of verse 24, God's reminding us, look, I'm not saying remain there all alone. God's saying, I'm with you in that situation. I put you in that situation. I allowed you to be in that situation, God's saying. I know what's going on and I'm with you in that situation. My spirit is there with you. Again, this morning, question, do you feel trapped? 
Do you feel tempted maybe to run off, to try and escape, pursue some new thing, to fix something? What? And I'm just questioning. What? What, honestly, if that's not what God wants? What if what God wants is for you to just remain where you are for now in that season and trust that God is with you in it and he wants you to remain with him in what he's doing? Think of the biblical examples, if I could. It was God's plan for Joseph to remain there serving a pagan master in the midst of Egypt. But think what God did in Joseph's life. Think what God did through Joseph's life because he remained in Egypt serving a pagan master. Think of Daniel. Daniel, challenging times, but it was God's will for Daniel to remain a servant in the palace of a pagan politician. But think what God did through Daniel's life because he remained with God in that situation and just served God faithfully where he was. Unless God transplants us, we want to remain where God has us and ask for the right heart in the midst of that situation. God, give me the right heart in this situation to obey your word and to honor you. And look, folks, and let's see what God does. If maybe our heart changes and we fully obey the word of God and seek to please Jesus right where he has us remaining on course. The Bible says there's a time and a season for all purposes. So bloom right where you are this season, and let's trust God and see what happens next season. Let's stand together. Let's pray.